Welcome, 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 welcome to the Rev Up, uh, the show where we talk about all things sales, marketing, uh, and everything that encapsulates revenue growth. Uh, today on the show, I am super excited to have my good friend Sean Jenkins. Sean is the marketing director at Genesis, who are a cloud uh, contact center and customer experience platform. Uh, one of the biggest in the world, certainly a market leader, um, and uh, a platform that I have actually used myself in the past when I ran uh, some larger contact center-based um, teams offshore. Uh, today, we are going to talk really specifically about marketing. We're going to talk pretty in-depth about demand generation. Uh, we're going to get into some conversation around demand generation through events. Um, you know, a lot of what works and what doesn't work um, isn't necessarily always something you can completely track digitally. Um, and so we talk quite a bit about how do you decide what works and what doesn't um, and how do you make the most out of things like events. We also talk quite a bit about other demand generation opportunities uh, and a couple of the tracks that Genesis are going down, including things like account-based marketing, which is a very exciting track and obviously uh, a very hot topic at the moment. Uh, really excited for this conversation, really excited for you guys to get some amazing insights from somebody uh, who is good, as good at all of this stuff as Sean is. Um, so over to us. Welcome <laughs> to the Rev Up, Sean Jenkins. Thank you, Ben. Excited to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Uh, we obviously know each other uh, from, you know, interacting a lot over the years, but also we used to work together, which is a pretty common theme uh, here on the RevUp, particularly uh, former colleagues from uh, a little events company known as IQPC. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny, I actually talked about this a bit with, uh, with one of our mutual friends, Carl Price, when he came on the RevUp. Um, just how, uh, how the talent density that we had back in those times in, in, uh, in IQPC, cause we're talking what, 10, 10, 12 years ago, maybe more. And, uh, but the sheer volume of people that came out of that time and went on to do like amazing things, either running their own businesses or in, uh, really senior positions is, is kind of overwhelming. Agree. Yeah. They, uh, certainly, did an amazing job of attracting and retaining for quite some time really good talent at, at, at IQPC, especially during that period. I mean, I'm sure they still do now, but um, but yeah, it was it is interesting to look at how many of us are still in similar fields, but you know, um, working um, yeah, owning yeah. own businesses or um, you know, senior positions. It's it's great to watch everyone's progress. Yeah, it's been been awesome to see. Um, yours included. I mean, obviously, when we worked together, uh, I was, to begin with, I was a salesperson. You were a marketing manager, senior marketing manager, maybe, and uh, and then kind of progressing on from there, each in, on our own uh, paths. Uh, why don't you maybe just give a little bit of background for, for the listeners, for the audience, just on, you know, like kind of, where you came from in this whole world of, of uh, marketing and kind of what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. So um, you mentioned IQPC. That was, that was my, that was an events company or is an events company. And it was my first job when I moved to Australia. Um, so I, I'm originally from the UK. Um, so yeah, IQPC was my kind of landing pad here in, um, in Sydney. 
I spent, I think it was around six years, five and five years in the in the Sydney um, office. Um, but prior to that, I was um, working in the UK, mainly in London for events companies. So various different um, types of events, all kind of B2B conferences, um, but um, across different industries. So kind of did legal, financial, did um, I started off in like plastics and packaging and um, <laughs> you know, and then energy, um, oil and gas. So they're like really various, varied industries. Um, but yeah, mark, as a, as a marketer, so marketing those those events. Um, you know, that the the business model for that kind of B two B conferencing is um, sponsorship and delegate revenue. So essentially, my role was you know to to market that and to hit those you know those targets and actually make the events profitable the event was the product that we were selling um so yeah moved to australia um worked with iqpc for for about five years again lots of different industries mining was one of them that was brand new to me when i moved here so learning learning about the mining industry and and you know selling Prod, uh, um, events in that space and also creating a community mm. for, for for mining execs um, and then from there, I moved to Singapore, um, still with IQPC, but with a kind of um, data analytics startup subsidiary kind of thing that that they that they launched over there. Um, that was called Dart Institute originally, and then it became known as SSON Analytics. But um, yeah, really interesting experience that was because for me, it was the first time ever working for a kind of startup environment you know when mm. i first joined there was just two of us um uh that are kind of managing director emma um and and myself and, and grew out to about 12 people um and that was a completely new industry it wasn't conferences we were using the data that we extracted from events to be able to package that up and sell it as insights data and analytics insights um so so yeah, that was really great. Spent about two and a half years in Singapore. Um, had yeah, had lots of fun. And then, um, but miss Sydney. <laughs> I love I love it here. Yeah. Love the love the lifestyle, um, the open spaces, blue skies. Um, so yeah, um, eventually found my way back here, and I'm now working for a technology company called Genesis. Um, it is a um, customer experience software company. Um, US based, but we have a really big presence across APAC and certainly in Australia and New Zealand. Um, so I now look after um, marketing for kind of half of APAC um, for um, Australia and New Zealand, India and Southeast Asia um, with with teams in those regions. Um, and it's it's actually um, pretty broad, broad role. So Look at um, various different aspects of marketing. So it's kind of field, partner, digital, um, customer mm. advocacy and engagement, a bit of PR. Um, so, yeah, working working very closely with our sales teams and our SDR teams um, and, um, yeah, trying to bring bring better customer experiences to, to all of us as customers. So that's yeah. pretty much a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that, that – so many people, I think, find that that um, corporate events background uh, is almost like a PhD in in commercial relationships, like buyer seller dynamics in markets, and having to like um, 
rapidly test and adjust <laughs> messaging and, and understanding of like how even even down to the extent of like how people in a particular industry talk, what what language they use and being able to kind of adapt into that, I think is yeah, it's basically a a, a a marketing commercialization PhD as far as I'm concerned. Um, that's really interesting that you have such a, I suppose, like a broad coverage of things that you're involved in. Um, and did, you know, the fact that you're involved in field marketing, did having come from an events marketing background, did that play a part in, in that? Is that something you found to be sort of helpful? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that um, I was obviously, yeah, very um, experienced in the event space and that was marketing events. And obviously part of that marketing was being around them, attending them, seeing how they work, um, you know, what makes a good event, what mm. what doesn't. Um, so, yeah, when I initially moved uh, back to Australia from Singapore and got the role with Genesis, my role was kind of ANZ field marketing. It's kind of developed broadened in scope and developed across different um, geographical regions now. Um, but yeah, it was very much, um, I would say even now events make up um, a really big part of our marketing mix. Um, mm. And that's us. That's, that's our own events, you know, our own, like putting on our own events as a, as a technology vendor um, and, and also, you know, attending and sponsoring events, um, putting on events with our partners um, so, yeah, definitely having that background, like I said, it really kind of it was something that was kind of without sounding cliched, it was sort of in my DNA. Like I kind of, mm, yeah. I know how to put on an event. I know, you know, what what you need to think about to make it to make it work um, and, to, and to deliver a really good experience for your attendees and also make it work for yourself as a business and get, you know, get what you need out of it. So, yeah, mm. events still play a big a really big part in my kind of day-to-day -day life, um, work life, um, for sure. But it's it's definitely a lot broader now. It's not obviously not just events, mm. but but still a key part. Yeah. Well, it may be broader now, but I want to ask you some stuff about about events because uh, sure. <laughs> we got. I mean, we, look, there's lots of people out there that are using events to to drive business growth. Um, I think for a lot of them, sometimes it's hard for them to quantify exactly what they're getting out of those events. Sometimes when it's maybe a smaller round tables and things like that, you can kind of see direct um, pipeline driven from them, et cetera. But what do you find is important to actually getting a good result, a commercial result out of, out of running events, out of using events as part of the marketing mix? Yeah, look, I mean, us as marketers, most, most of the time, most of us are driven on pipeline and revenue you know mm. that that's our kpis that's what we are you know need to deliver day to day and that's a lot of the time what our, what we're assessing the effectiveness of any activity against you know did it deliver pipeline has it delivered opportunities what what's the you know revenue from this i think with events you have to take a broader lens because yes ultimately of course we want events to deliver pipeline but um a lot of the time that pipeline delivery from events is going to be much later it's not going to be you know mm. one month after the event it it might be in some cases you know there's often you know you often do get one or two opportunities from an event that might pop up just within a few weeks and that's brilliant but i think a lot of a lot of, the, the broader lens you need to take is that 
Number one, brand building and getting your brand message across at the event, actually being able to whether whether this is this is your own event that you are putting on yourselves and you know fully organizing and managing or whether it's an industry event um, that you're being a part of as a sponsor. I think um, you've really got to think about, yeah, what are you getting across in terms of your brand and your messaging? So, you know, and, and not and that's not that's through presentations, you know, a formal presenting on stage kind of thing. Um, but also just through the conversations that you're having, the your people who are there at that event, the conversations that you're having with people and the the overall impression and, and that you're building of your company to, you know, face to face one on one to people. So I think. There's the brand building and then there's the relationship building. You know, it's getting in front of those people. It's it's meeting. Oh, I'm, I'm sta- I feel like I'm stating the obvious here, but it is, you know, it is meeting. It's it's, mm. it's expanding your network. It's meeting, you know, new new contacts. And and again, like yeah, building your brand with them, but building that relationship with them. And I think that sometimes when we're purely measuring pipeline generation, opportunity generation immediately off the back of an event we that doesn't capture all of that stuff it doesn't capture you know that you might have had the the cio of you know westpac or whatever that you you interacted with or or you might not even interact with them but that they were at an event you know a year ago and they heard a really amazing story from a customer of yours the customer might have been on stage telling a story or they might have been you know um one-to-one conversations but they heard this amazing story that stuck in their head um and and that's you know 12 months down the line when they're actually maybe like considering and and actually in a in a state where they where they're more closer to buying that little nugget of oh yeah i did hear xyz company speaking about Mm. working with genesis you know from my perspective um and and that was actually a really great um story i heard and you know it's that building that trust and building that kind of brand value. And I think that if you're just focused on pipeline generation um, metrics yep. from an event, it's really hard to capture that. And it, it well, it doesn't capture that. And it is hard <laughs> to capture all that other stuff I've just been talking about full stop. Like that is, mm. that is really difficult. Um, but I think that we need to take like a broader perspective with events. And and I think also some of the measurement, it does actually come back to what what your people on the ground at the event experienced. You know, did they have lots of good conversations with people? If it's a no, okay, you're probably not going to, you know, we're not going to say we we develop great relationships necessarily from it. And that does happen a lot. You know, you might go to an event and you think, actually, I didn't really connect with the right people here. I don't really feel like I had that many mm. really valuable conversations. And yeah, that's that's an instance where you have to kind of put your hands up and say, we probably didn't reach, we probably didn't um, hit any kind of relationship um, building, that many relationship building goals at this event. But then you can have others where you go, we have brilliant conversations. You know, we were so busy the whole time, whether you're at a booth or whether you're just kind of networking, but so busy the whole time. I've got all these follow-up actions from this event I'm going to do in that case you know that's there's a lot of momentum coming out of that and there probably is um you know it is going to lead to things further down the track even if it's not this immediate open an opportunity put you know allocate yeah. pipeline to it kind of thing yeah yeah um it's a tough one because you know we we always want to like 
we always want to have some level of certainty. Like how how much? Uh, give me a a random stab in the dark here. Like to what percentage do you think it's just like I just have to take a gut feel on this? I got to take the feedback, the things I can't. You know, I mean, I, I have a slightly counter um, opinion on this that that opinion is measurement to a degree, right? <laughs> like if you've been at the event, and you had great conversations. Um, and you feel like you made an impact. That, to me, that is a level of measurement. Um, but to what percentage is it like? I've got, just got to trust. I know this works. I can't measure it particularly well, or the measurement is imperfect. And how much of it can we actually capture and quantify? Yeah, look, I think it's a mixture. I think there's, I think both play a part. And I, and as I, yeah, I totally agree with you. It sometimes it is a, you know, measuring that the the opinion of the teams that mm. the team that was on the ground and what they you know the conversations they had but there's a lot there are lots of other different measures so you know um we talked about um like pipeline and, and opportunity generation is kind of number one there's also of course you know just good old leads you know how many new contacts have you gathered from this event how many um you know different personas have you interacted with what's your percentage of customers versus prospects that you manage to mm. um to to interact with at the event um so yeah simple kind of lead measurement also can play into it another thing we measure at genesis is um pipeline growth after the event so like mm. and, and we measure that at three month intervals so like pipeline growth um three months after the event six months after the event um nine months after so that we can say, okay, um, you know, we were at this particular event. All of these um, companies that were there that we interacted with, overall, it was X amount of pipeline um, from those companies when the event when the event was on at, the, at that time. And, and I'm not saying that was pipeline generated from the event. I mean pre-existing pipeline that was already open. Mm -hmm. And then over time, we look at what's the growth rate of that pipeline. And you could we can also compare that to other companies of a similar demographic that weren't in this particular event. Again, it's not a perfect measure. It's not saying this pipeline grew just because of this event, you know, just because mm. they were at this Especially event. Especially when you're doing we a lot of things. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a huge, you know, amount of contributing factors, um, but it's another measure that you can look at. We similarly, we look at like kind of influenced, um, uh, pipeline influenced from the event. And again, there's lots of different kind of, factors that feed into that but um but yeah look i would say i would say that you know for us it's looking at new connections it's looking at the balance or sorry new contacts the balance of prospects versus customers and then it's th that we interacted with and then it's really about what you do after the event to to follow up with them and to actually continue to then like nurture those those leads nurture nurture those relationships that you started to build at the event um, so that's where for us, our sales development team plays a big role. Um, so they obviously marketing will be, you know, wanting to continue to engage with these contacts that were at the event, these attendees by trying to put out relevant content that might be interesting to them, trying to get them to continue to engage with us on our website, mm. um, or come to, you know, if, let's say it's an industry event, come to our actual owned events and try and, you know, continue to nurture that relationship over time. Because 
as we said, it's not going to be well. Quite often, it's not a simple yes. I'm ready to buy. You know, here's an opportunity. Mm. Here's so it's it's what you're kind of doing after the event with those leads. And and yeah, like I mentioned, the sales development team play a really important role in that. Um, and and also like our post event marketing campaigns as well. So so yeah, it's it's not a perfect measurement of event ROI. Yeah. I don't think is <laughs> is a perfect science and. Um, I don't know if it ever will be because there are so many factors that that feed into it. Yeah. Uh, so I had a, a friend of mine, um, Jim Ginolio, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. The episode's about to come out. Um, and uh, he uses this analogy that I absolutely love, which is, sorry to use it before you, Jim, in advance. <laughs> um, although this will be released after, so it'll technically be after. Um <laughs> He uses the analogy that like a lot of people go wrong because um, they're out in the dark trying to get into their car and they're looking for their keys. And the place that they look for their keys is under the street light because that's where the light is. It's not necessarily where the keys are, yeah. right? <laughs> Just because yeah. that's where I can see. And I think that, that a lot of people fall out of love with things like events or brand, lots of other activities because... They can't see with any level of certainty what's happening <laughs> and how it's happening. When they're involved in it, when they're out in the field, when they're having customer interactions, when they're at events themselves, quite often it's very clear. We get an intuition about it, but it's all the stuff that we can't see. People fall out of love with it and stop doing it, and they just do the things that they can see and they can measure. And I think that sometimes gets worse the bigger the business gets because you – the people making the decisions that need to have understanding of what's happening in order to make the strategies are further and further and further away from uh, the reality of what's happening. And so they want to have more clarity and more certainty. And so they focus towards the things that they can see with, with absolute guarantee. Things like lead generation. We generated a thousand leads. Great. I can see them. There they are in the pipeline. Those are the leads that we got from that channel, you know, and it's so much easier to do, but let's, um, but this, this brings me to a thing that I really want to talk to you about, which I know is um, is something that you're, uh, uh, I suppose, a big believer of, something near and dear to your heart, which is um, how we approach things like brand and our perception in the market and all of those sorts of things. Do you have kind of like a, a top-line overall approach to how you kind of want to go to market and, and, and interact with your customers or, or have them see you? We do. I do. We do um, at Genesis. Um, I guess I just wanted to take a step back on one thing you said there, and I think it's really important. The You said, like, we focus on the things that we can see, like, and, and as in the, you know, in, from a marketing perspective, the channels that we can see and say, oh, this is driving X amount of traffic to our site, X amount of leads, X amount of revenue. And I think that that is something that, again, um, like, for example, you can look quite often when you look at attribution software, it will tell you that your SEO is doing great because you're getting loads of traffic through organic <laughs> yeah. search. You know, oh, all these people came onto our website and converted into a lead from Google search like they just found us. But what that isn't telling you is why did they search for your name in the first place? Why did mm. they come across you in a Google search? Because they, they obviously had a they obviously searched for your company. So and, and that's kind of going back to the the point about, 
you know, events and other channels, not just not just events, but like social media is a big one where it's harder to track the 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 immediate ROI. But but that person who came onto your website through Google search quite probably and possibly could have been the same person that two months ago you met, you know, you you saw mm. or, or that sorry, they saw you at this event, you know, they saw you speaking on stage or they they met with a customer of yours at an event and spoke about, you know, what work they were doing with you. All of that stuff is so much harder to track. But because we can see in attribution software, yes, it came from Google. It's like, great, our SEO is working or it came from, you know, Google paid search. Great. Let's pump some more money into paid search because that's where, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that's really delivering <laughs> us the leads. And yeah. so I think, but it's like that all, all that that's showing us is where we first captured that lead, you know, where we first captured the demand, not um, where it was actually generated, you know, six months ago or eight months ago or however long ago that they first heard of your organization. And that could have been through, yeah, could have been through, uh, you know, a, a social media post that one of your people, that one of your team did, that they just happened to stumble across and, and read something mm. about. It could have been through word of mouth. It could have been through an event. It could, there's so many different places that, they initially could have heard of you and sort of just relying on that, you know, the attribution software that we do look at um, that tells us, yeah, it came from paid search. Like that's, yep. that's obviously not giving us the complete picture. It's giving us part of it, which is useful, but it's not giving mm. us the whole picture. And so, yeah, just wanted yeah. to comment on that because you were kind of touching on that. And I know that. No, I think um, that's a, it's, it's super important. And like, you know, if, if the search is um, is branded, if they're coming specifically for you, they've Googled your name, um, if you're targeting your own name on on uh, paid ads, it might be because a competitor <laughs> yeah. is trying to uh, outbid you. Um, but if it's just through organic search, then that's probably not their, that's probably not where the demand, it's almost certainly where, not where the demand was created. No one's looking for your name. I mean, if they're searching for keywords, it's a different story. But if they're searching for your name, it's almost certainly not where it came from. I think it's really important for people to differentiate that um, because otherwise they just go and spend a whole bunch of money with an SEO agency instead of spending more money on producing content, uh, going to events, uh, working with their clients to get referrals. I think that's probably one of the biggest missed opportunities for so many businesses is how are we generating referrals from our own clients and how are we tracking it? For, do you have a way that you track all, all of this stuff? I've sidetracked us as well with a, a separate no, okay. question. We'll I think this is, this is a, a, yeah. a more interesting line. <laughs> so, I mean, so, so we, in terms of referrals, we have the kind of, um, there's lots of different referral channels. So there's like your, you know, your referral sites, like the, G2 Crowd and yep. Trustpilot, if that you know, if that's kind of your industry, and um, Garten Appear Insights, and there's there's the, those kind of referral sites where um, you know there's actual referrals in writing from your customer, and of course we can track um, you know traffic and things that are coming from those sites, so that's helpful. And we, you know, our customer advocacy and engagement team has programs in place to try and encourage our customers to obviously put reviews on those sites. You know, there's um, trying to incentivize that. Um, but when it comes to kind of word of mouth referrals, that's, um, you know, that's all really part of 
dark social. That's, you know, that's mm. where, again, we aren't, of course, we don't know every person who's talking to every, every one of our customers who might be talking to another person out there in their industry and mentioning our name or, you know, saying that they had a good experience working with us. That That's, again, where you you can't you can't track that stuff how do you capture those things that happen in the dark that aren't under the the street light yeah i mean how, look how do you know they're happening i think you know they're happening because you hear about them <clears throat> after the fact mm. you know you hear about you you start having a conversation with a new potential customer and they tell you oh yeah i spoke to xyz you know sue from xyz and she xyz company and she told me that you know, that actually she works with you guys and it's it's going really well. And, you know, that's why I got in touch with you. So we know it's happening because we hear that anecdotally from, from customers. I think the way you can track that or you can try and track that is to have more of a formal program in place to ask your customers, you know, about that, where they heard from you. Did they hear from you from someone else? Um, and you and I spoke about this just literally before we started recording this, but we both yeah. were talking about how we have um, listened to um, Chris Walker's podcast from Refine Labs. Yeah. And he talks a lot about this, this kind of um, the, the software attribution model um, versus a self-reporting attribution model. And the sim, I mean, it's super simple, but it, it really is, can be highly effective, but, just simply it's what everyone asking used your to customers. do in marketing a decade exactly. ago. It's what all the B2C brands do, right? Exactly. A form. <laughs> Where did you yeah, hear on about a form. Us? Where did you hear about us? <laughs> I think in B2B, for a very we have forgotten about that. Like it's it's yeah. you know, it well, let's just talk to our customers and understand where did they hear about us? What yeah. what were the different touch points they might have had that we are going to be completely unaware of? Um unless we ask them, because it's not going to mm. be something that software can capture. So I think, yeah, like I'm a big fan of um, Chris's podcast and the things he talks about on this. Revenue but Vitals, it, um, that one is. Chris will be on the podcast <laughs> in a few weeks. Oh, brilliant. Amazing. I'll yeah. tune in for that one. Um, yeah, so I think it is about asking your customers and kind of, yeah, getting to know your customers. I think that's yeah. that's a big part of it. Which if which if you're going to do, you have to you have to set your you know, your CRM and your tracking to be able to capture that. You have to set your forms uh, yeah. to be able to capture it. You have to ask the question in the right way. Uh, because like how did they get to you is very different to how did they hear about you. Um, yeah. and the options as well. Like there's so many pieces to making sure you get it right. Like this is something we work with clients on when we uh, help them imp implement HubSpot. We're a HubSpot partner. Right is like what are the what are the options that you give somebody because if the first option in your list is google yeah. they may have googled you to get to that point and so the initial trigger is going to be well I've heard about you through google that's how I got here so you have yeah. to be careful even about how you structure the list and then have a follow on like included in the sales process i can see that you selected that you heard about us through google is that the first place you heard about us or is that just how you found us? And just dig a little bit further because the clearer that data is, my Lord, it cho totally changes how you see some of these things that, that do happen in the dark, you know, yeah. individual referrals, business community referrals, um, events, uh, you know, podcasts and content, all of that stuff. Even if it's 70%. 
accurate, right? There's certainly yeah. problems with yeah. it. all data there is, but if it's 70% accurate and all of a sudden you're seeing that, okay, maybe 10% of your leads come from referrals and events and things like that, but 80% of your converted pipeline comes from them, um, totally changes the way you look at it. Exactly. And on that yeah. form thing, that the question of the form and what do you list on there? I mean, I've seen it as a, you know, as a customer myself when I'm filling in these forms and they have like maybe five or six options, but they only give you, it's a, it's only a, you can only select one and you're mm. like, well, actually I heard about you from Google, but I also heard word of mouth and I also follow, you know, on LinkedIn. I saw, you know, there's this, like, you're like, well, actually you're only <laughs> letting me pick one, but I, there's like mm. four of you that are relevant. Um, and, and the other thing I think that, that, not to keep talking about Chris Walker, but the thing he said is the form they have, sorry, it's, it's the, the question they ask in a form, it's just a free text field. So it's, yeah. they don't actually give an option. <clears throat> it's like you actually have to write something in that field. And yeah, I'm yeah. sure they probably get a lot who maybe just write Google. Like maybe that is, you know, that yeah. is part of it because it's the easy thing. But they also, with the, with the stuff that they report, they get a lot that says, you know, I heard so-and-so talking on this podcast, like you said, or yeah, spoke to someone yep. at an event or, and it can be really specific because you're giving the person the option to put whatever they want in there. So yep. um, yeah, definitely um, ask your customers. I think. <laughs> and I, I think, I think depending on where you're at, like, I can't imagine for you guys an open, a free text field that somebody has to go through and analyze and categorize and and build into reporting is probably going to be you know not massively cumbersome uh, but it, the smaller you are actually like the more you should give people freedom to give you the answer that they want because i mean look if you're a business owner and you're doing some of this stuff and you're spending a hundred thousand dollars on an events marketing strategy you want to know exactly what's going on with it and you should be in that data and reading those free text answers you know maybe you might only have two thousand of them to read a year right <laughs> like yeah get in there and, and and inspect the data for yourself um yeah. the smaller you are obviously the bigger you are and the higher the volume the more you might need to rely on you know specific yeah, you answers a, <laughs> a drop yeah, down or, or something kind of, yeah like aggregating that data and yeah. reading something into it for <laughs> yeah. sure but i but i agree like it it getting actually digging into it yourself and reading things is so can be so revelatory <laughs> like you know you can mm. look at stuff and actually be like wow like this comment is actually really telling me a lot it's not just you know high level ticker box so so yeah i think that there is there is definitely um a lot of merit in that for sure nice and um so let's transition to the other thing that i want to talk to you about which is <laughs> yeah. around um you know, uh, actually just, I'm, I'm going to ask it from a, a top level approach. Like, do you have, um, you know, a, a top level macro belief, a core belief about how people should go about marketing that, you know, that you find is really, really important for being able to grow a marketing team, grow a pipeline, grow a business, so on and so forth. Like, do you have a, a, a an approach that you, uh, that you believe in? Yeah, I, I would say the number one thing that I think is super important in marketing, but and it's almost one of these things that can actually get lost in all the noise of all the other stuff. But the number mm -hmm. one thing that's really important is 
know your customer. Like you need to understand your customer and you need to understand what they're going through, their pain points, their challenges, what their goals are, what they're trying to achieve, the macro issues of their industry that are playing into all of this and and talk their language. And you're only going to be able, it doesn't matter what channels you're using, you know, what great program ideas you might have, how creative you are, all that stuff. If you haven't got that fundamental thing right of knowing your customer, understanding your customer, all of the other stuff that comes after it is 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 probably going to fail because you're not hitting them. You, you, hitting them, that's a terrible word, but you're not you're not conveying a message that resonates with them and makes sense to them. So to me, yeah. I think the number one basic thing is start with knowing your customer. They want to feel like, and I say they, I mean we, we're all customers. Like we're all, you know, the customers and prospects for, a, you know, a whole millions of brands and companies out there. Um, and we want to feel like we have been, um, you know, listened to, we've been heard, we've been understood and and a company, and, and, and then kind of this is where it kind of moves more into like personalization and stuff, but we've also been remembered. They kind of, you know, if you're interacting with a with an organization quite regularly as a customer of theirs, um, you know, that actually you're, you're being remembered, your preferences are being remembered. You're not having to go through the same, the same kind of thing again and again and again when you're interacting with an organization. And that's whether it's from a marketing side, whether it's from a sales side, whether it's from a service, customer service side, that you are being kind of listened to, heard, understood, remembered more um, as an individual. And I'm not saying that, you know, I work in marketing. I can be cynical about this. I know we're not all treated as individuals. Of course, you have to group group people into, mm. you know, certain demographic segments or segments based on behaviors or things like that because, yeah, but it, because you have to, because of the scale of the 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 audience that you're talking to, but I think that, um, yeah, that being able to personalize things to some extent is really important, and and that is you know that comes down to messaging. It comes down to again, like I said, really knowing who you're talking to, um, and I think that, like I said, if, if you don't get that bit right at the beginning, mm. it's it's it it can mean that all your other efforts after that are going to fail and it it can be really difficult for, for marketers and not just marketers salespeople, anyone who's interacting regularly with customers it can be quite difficult because you know let's say you're a marketer and you start off in a new industry something you know nothing about and I've personally done that so many times like I mentioned at the yeah. beginning you know I've worked in mining or plastics and paper and you know you're like I know nothing about this. Like, I don't know the first thing. And, and day one in the job, you are kind of, you know, okay, I've got to hit these targets. These yeah. are my goals. I've got to generate this many leads. I've got to generate pipeline. I've got to blah, 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 blah. So it's like execute, get, you know, keep keep running with these programs, getting like, you know, getting those, <laughs> those numbers in the door every day. Yeah. Um, so that whole piece about, you know, learning the customer, learning the industry, learning all that can sometimes be really difficult. And like, to 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 almost find the time but i think it's something that you have to really be disciplined to invest in and and that a big part of it can be events you know attending industry events if you're new in an industry going to those events and actually 
sitting in the sessions and listening and taking notes and understanding that, you know, mm. hearing people who are practitioners in that industry for 20 odd years talk is an amazing opportunity to learn, to learn your customer, learn about the industry. So that's, that's a big part of it. I think, you know, absorbing, like immersing yourself in, in the, the, you know, the, the, the content of that, of that particular mm. industry, you're going into the, the media that, that people are going to consume social media, you know, joining, joining groups, following influencers in those industries and learning about what they're talking about. Um, and then crucially actually talking to your customers and, and in marketing, it can be quite difficult because again, we're sort of a step behind, like we're kind of almost, you know, can be behind a, like a, an invisible barrier where we don't really directly necessarily talk one-to-one with customers all the time in the way that sales do for example you know obviously mm. if you're in sales you're talking to customers on the phone every day you're having meetings with them you're taking them out you're doing whatever so yeah you're 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 constantly sort of with your customers whereas in marketing a lot of the time you're you know you're you're like looking at data and you're rolling out programs and um but you're not talking one-on-one to customers and i think yeah. that that and it's hard big... because it's hard because you are like you are yeah. you're talking to them one on one exactly but they're not talking back you're so not you don't get any back. feedback about it exactly <laughs> yeah. and i think that you know we've got to be really um like humble as marketers to not assume that we we know what our customers care about like without having done a huge amount of groundwork and and getting that message right so um yeah like that's kind of the number one thing I think is so crucial for us as marketers mm. is to talk to our customers. And I really encourage that of my myself and my team. You know, it's like any opportunity we have to get in front of our customers as, as a marketer, because, again, it's like I said, it's sometimes, you know, day to day, you're, you're at, you know, working from home, doing whatever. You're not talking to a customer, but any opportunity we have. We should, especially in the beginning of a, of a new role or whatever, we should grab that and really be out there. Um, yeah, like listening to their stories, hearing about them. I every year, like one example of this um, for us at Genesis is every year we run, um, we have an annual awards program for our customers called the, the Genesis Innovation Awards. And we um, encourage our customers to submit nominations about how they're using our technology. And, you know, it's, it's a full um, global program. And every year, myself and my team's get really heavily involved in, in um, helping our certain customers with those nominations because mm. number one, it's, it's good. You know, obviously we want to help them. This is, we are trying to help them win an award, but number two, it's amazing for us to speak. You know, I, I the way I do it is I take an hour on the phone with a customer and I literally get a full download of their whole journey, you know, their whole kind of journey in our industry, which is customer experience, but with how they're using our products you know what what they what they were doing before what the challenges were what, how they approached the pro the um the process to um you know to buy and implement genesis products then how they're what they're you doing with them now what's what's changed what's the impact on their business and you know doing those like speaking to you know whether it's like six seven eight customers but really in-depth like i said hour-long conversation yeah. it's super super insightful and i personally learn like a huge amount from those conversations which then really helps me actually with you know with my messaging and with how we're we're going out to market to these customers because i've just heard it from the horse's mouth or from 
10 horses mouths. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's definitely something that I um, really highly value and, and I'm always really grateful to our customers who do give us the time to, to you know, to, to take yeah. part in that program and stuff. So that's a great example of, of finding an opportunity for marketing to get involved in that sort of deep customer understanding. I think there's a few versions of that that, um, that you can do as well. I mean, like the easiest ones are, I, I think that marketing teams should be listening to sales calls. They should be attending sales calls, going Agreed. to events, doing those sorts of things. I think yeah. another one is um, if you're going to do like an annual um, customer survey, customer research program, you know, where you do customer interviews and things like that, I think it's really good for the marketing team to be responsible for running that. Yeah. Um, awards, obviously a, a great one. Um, I've seen in some businesses that, um, you know, marketing teams are responsible for like event registrations, right? Proactive outreach for event registrations because it forces them to have conversations with customers, talk about the event, talk about the content, talk about the fit of that. Is it yeah. going to be right for them? Um, I'm sure all the marketers listening to this are going, don't tell anyone to make me make sales calls. Um, but any, any user opportunity. Groups. Yeah. User I mean, groups, you great User one. groups, you yeah. know, like having like regularly meeting with your customers and having like a user group that, that marketing is either running or if not running heavily involved with, as in they are there at the group and they're listening to the feedback. Um, I guess that's more of a, a formal um you know, listening opportunity, but, um, yeah, I think yeah. that's, yeah. That's... Everybody else in the, in the sort of customer acquisition chain has opportunities to talk to customers all the time. The sales team does the customer success team and operational delivery team. They're talking to customers all the time. They know their frustrations. They know the challenges. They know all that stuff. The sales team obviously are doing it all the time. The, the senior leaders quite often came from, uh, a customer background or have some kind of, of deep insight. I think um, marketers usually come because they're marketers and they understand marketing and not because they understand the customer base particularly well. And so, so yeah. anything, anything where where the marketing team get to understand and get to know the customer at a really intimate level, just it, it's it's so important. And it's so important for a whole host of reasons, including job satisfaction, People that, that understand their customers care more about getting great results for their customers and helping them, and they're able to do it better because they understand them. You know, That's but, so true, actually, and I hadn't mm. even really even thought about that angle to it, that actually, but, it, but it's completely true, and it's really obvious now you've said it. It is a lot more satisfying once you know, once you actually know the impact that your product or service is having on your customers, like, um, it is. It does make you a lot more engaged. It does make it is does make it more satisfying mm. for you as a as a marketer or you know salesperson or whoever to to really care more about what you're doing because you've seen and heard it firsthand from your customers. So yeah, that's a yep. that's a really good point. Cut, well, customer success stories is probably another one too. Yeah, uh, letting different people be responsible across the team for for capturing, creating, et cetera, customer success stories. I think it's probably pretty helpful for that too. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and it takes a full team on that side. It really does take a full team to, you know, you can only have a customer success story when you've built that customer into an advocate. And that's obviously about having 
you know, this great experience with your company. So it takes that full team to deliver that and then to, you know, make that visible to the rest of the company so that we can kind of actually do something with it and, and turn that into a, into a really great success story that we can tell publicly. Um, we do that. That is something that, that my team, myself and my team do a lot of is, um, is customer advocacy, um, activities and, and customer success stories being a big part of that. Um, and, and again, it's, it's another huge learning opportunity for us as marketers to mm. get to know the customers. I was just at two weeks ago at a customer's office for the whole day when we were with a film crew filming the our customer success story with them. And it was an amazing, um, you know, it's an amazing opportunity to spend that whole day immersed in, in their business with them and actually, you know, speak to different people from the organization, not just the one, the one contact or the one person that, that, you know, I might have previously been talking to, but actually get lots of different perspectives. Um, and just, yeah, put, put their success down on paper or on camera in this case, and really, um, celebrate that success. And, um, you know, hopefully give them a great asset that they can be proud of, um, you know, telling their story. But also for us as a business, of course, it's having this great asset of a customer in their own words, you know, saying how, um, you know, how our products has, have, have, have helped them or, you know, made a mm. difference in their organization. So, yeah, for sure, that's that's a really valuable um, exercise on so many different levels. Um, speaking of, uh, you know, marketing teams, getting involved in some of these things. Uh, marketing teams tend to be a, a mix of a, a whole host of skills. Um, you know, there's there's so many different things that you need, sometimes quite technical skills to be able to deliver on in marketing. What do you see as uh, like the mix? What are the skills that, you know, we're going to do things from customer success stories through to, uh, you know, SEO through to website, brand. There's a thousand things to do that require a lot of different skills, a lot of different capabilities. What do you think is like the ideal mix? What are the, the core skills that you have to have to build, build a really successful marketing team? I mean, it's everything you just mentioned. Um, creativity, um, you know, data minded, like analytics um, you know, good, good at kind of taking data and really like delving into it and analyzing things. Um, it's, it's kind of things like copywriting, messaging, it's, mm. um, you know, if you're talking, you know, organization and actually event, event kind of organization stuff, it's, you know, being like really super kind of skilled at event management and, and also being creative with events. It's, there's, you know, there's, then there's like PR side of it and understanding that there's very specialist skills on, you know, on the digital side of like, like you, like you mentioned, SEO, SEM, um, there's a huge breadth of skills that modern marketers kind of need, need to have these days. But I think it's unrealistic to think that every marketer is going to hit every, mm, <laughs> every yep. skill, you know, it's, some people, are going to be more creative and maybe less analytical. Some people are going to be a bit more on the data and analytics side and maybe not as creative, or maybe I'm just being, you know, really stereotypical there, but some people have it both, have, have both and they're great at both. Some people can, um, can yeah, go, but go between the two for sure. But, but so, some people, the people that are going to be the very best at being super analytical and in the detail are unlikely to be 
incredibly creative and spontaneous and all of those exactly. things. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. It, and it does take a mix of both. And um yeah, I think we have to be realistic that although we want to create really integrated campaigns and to create integrated campaigns, you need integrated marketers kind of working across them. Mm. So you're not just pigeonholing yourself and saying, I am I'm I'm a field marketer and I only do field marketing or I'm a you know, channel marketer, and I only work with our partners, and I only do, you know, enabling and 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 co-marketing campaigns with them. I'm just d- digital. That's all I do. I don't I don't think we can we can be that prescriptive and and be like it's only this and this and this. But I think we do have to look at it from a skills perspective, as you just mentioned, and and it is about finding the right blend of those skills across a team. So um, you know, and and figuring out what roles. that you actually you know which particular roles you actually really really need and then um you know which skills fit those but I think I think also I mean like at at Genesis now my current role you know we have um we have quite lean teams but we we have a really broad mix of skills like we do have you know certain teams that that um not not so much in in um the regions in APAC, but in our US head office, you know, we'll have t- a team that is customer advocacy and engagement marketing, and that's that's their specialist area. However, in in the region out here in APAC, we don't have a team that does that. We, as the regional marketers, need to look after that ourselves. So we can we can kind of lean on the expertise of mm. that team in the US. You know, get get some direction, get some um, you know best practice from them. But then we take that and interpret it on the ground here and actually, you know, can run those kind of customer advocacy um, activities here. For example, you know, we just talked about case studies. Obviously, that's a big that's a big part of it. The awards program, that's another part of it. Mm. So it's it's definitely a chance for us to develop those skills um, by not having, you know, one central person here who just does all of that. And they it, it's part of the broader marketing mix. And I think as a you know, as a marketer, you need to, you need to, I think the most important thing is recognizing what, where your strengths lie and where you need and like outside help. And whether that's when that can be, you know, that can be from an agency. So we definitely use different agencies um, to kind of supplement our skills in, in, mm-hmm. um, in our marketing. So for example, um, in in ANZ in, in Australia uh, at the moment, we are just launching our first um, our first true ABM campaign. We'd say we've done ABM before, yep. what what we call ABM, and it, you know we obviously do lots of LinkedIn advertising, and that's you know very much you know part of an ABM strategy. But I would ABM say ABM being account based marketing. For yes, those sorry, account based not... marketing. <laughs> yeah, so really targeting a certain set of accounts, the, the model of ABM we're using is um, one to few. So we're just targeting about 26 accounts over a six month program. And we're doing, you know, we're rolling out a really high touch program to engage them across multiple different channels um, and, you know, really kind of deepen our engagement in these accounts. And obviously at the end mm. of it, hopefully generate pipeline as we talked about kind of a num, you know, pipeline revenue. But where I was going with this is, we, because this is the first time we've done this um, in, in ANZ um, or in APAC, actually, um, we've engaged an agency. So we are working with mm. um, with a specialist ABM agency to help guide us on that journey. Um, 
X-Growth. I'll just give them a shout out. If you're looking for an ABM agency, they're, they're really good. Um, we don't do ABM, so, so that's fine. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't check that before I did that shout out. Apologies. That's all right. There's plenty of room um, for everybody, Sean. If they're good, well, they're, if they're good, I'd rather people were using them. <laughs> they are good. And they're specialists. They only really mm. do ABM. So, so yeah, so, you know, we're leaning on them because I recognized that we don't have that expertise in-house yet. You know, I hope maybe in, you know, maybe in like 12 months we might, we might have it. Um, but at the moment, yeah, they're, they're really yeah. like holding our hands and showing us the way. And I think that that's something that we as marketers need to be um, really open to is we can't do it all. Like, um, and obviously it does depend on your resourcing and it does depend on your budgets. And obviously you have to have some budget to be able to work with with agencies on certain things. But it also, um, I think it's about prioritizing and, and understanding where your skills lie. If it's going to take you you know, copywriting, for example, that's something that some people are really good at and other people aren't. And no matter yeah. what, you know, it's just not, the copywriting's hard. Like it's, yeah. it's difficult to write good copy and it takes years to hone that as a skill. And even after years, some people just aren't going to be great at it. And that's okay. In that case, engage someone who is good at it. You know, don't, mm. don't try and do it yourself or do it in your team. If you feel that, you're not really churning out great copy. Like just, yeah. there's, there's millions of people out there who can do it a lot better than you and you can pay them to do it, you yeah. know, a lot better than you ever could. Um, some people don't have the option of, of doing it internally, you know, like a lot of our audience are SMEs. And if you look at the individual skills in a marketing team, copywriting, uh, website, and especially like the dev aspect of website, um, you know, uh, all of the CRM and marketing automation aspects, uh, field marketing, graphic design, video editing. I mean, I could probably name another 40 different things that you might need help with. Exactly. Most businesses can't have somebody to do each of those things. Yeah. And so, you know, this is a problem that a lot of our clients have had, you know, we're a, obviously an offshore agency. We help people hire people in the Philippines. But one of the things we've found over the years is that, um, you know, lots of people can't afford to bring in each of those individual skills. So, you know, even to the point that we've we've made a whole content as a service product just so that we can churn out pro uh, content for people because you can't churn out content if you don't have a copywriter, a video editor, a graphic designer, so yeah. on and so forth, right? And um, if you're running a business in the day to day, you're not going to have yeah. the time to invest in that. Yeah. It's like it's a huge time investment. So yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think it's. I think that's enough. Yeah, you might have you. You can have all those things you mentioned. Like yeah, for sure, we use videography agencies. You know, um, marketing agencies for di various different um, specialist areas. Sometimes it might be things that we do have the skills on our team for, but we don't have the time. So it's like you've got, you, you know, you do have the skills. And if you had like, you know, unlimited time to spend on something, you could do it yourself, but, but you don't, you know, it's, it, it's, and it's then that thing of, um, yeah, time versus money. Where's your time better spent and where's your money better spent? Like, is it, and, and I think again, yeah, that's where we, um, you know, do that equation and lean on different mm. agencies for those things as well. There's there's so there's so much to know in this world of of marketing. Like <laughs> I actually think for for small and medium sized businesses, especially founder led businesses, 
I mean, it's just so hard for them to get all of the skills they need and all of the understanding and knowledge they need in order to be able to, to really make great strides. And so partnering with somebody who can help fill some of those gaps, I think, is is pretty helpful. Um, yeah. But is there is there something in the world of marketing that you're really sort of focused on at the moment? Something, you know, a bit of a bee in your bonnet or something you're finding really important that maybe not enough people are talking about? Is there something that's, um, you know, exciting you in the world of marketing? Look, I mean, one of the things that I do have a bee in my bonnet about, we've already talked about, which is the attribution stuff. And it's the, you yeah. know, <laughs> like the, I won't go into it because we talked about it a lot. But yeah, that's something that I am very focused on because I, I do believe that it can it it can lead you in the wrong direction if like we said yep. if you're paying too much attention to to a certain set of metrics and you're ignoring other things that aren't as easy to measure so that's something I, I do have a bit in my bonnet about um I think in terms of like things that are coming up and that are exciting I mean I think like personalization and how we can really leverage data and technology to to create much more personalized campaigns is really exciting like nowadays mm. um the levels of personalization you can get to um i think you know personalization can be super simple um that you know just just addressing your target audience as who they are you know if your target audience is finance managers just talking to them as hey you know you you're a finance manager and you're doing xyz we can help you with this mm. it can be simple personalization or you know nowadays with ai and with the various different tools that are out there you can get very deep into into it i think i think we have to be careful um as in there's not it's as with any technology and especially with AI, it's all still developing and we can't just be leaning on it thinking AI is the answer and it's going to personalize everything and be great. I was actually mm -hmm. at um, a LinkedIn um, event earlier this week about ABM, about account-based marketing, which mm -hmm. I went to because I'm like, great, we're running this. And there was an agency there who gave some examples of um, an ad campaign that they created using purely AI versus another campaign that was with their human marketers um and it, and they used um ai for the copywriting and they used ai for the images um an ai tool called i think it's called midjourney which i haven't used yet but i'm mm -hmm. kind of excited to try out so that so these were linkedin ads and so the the um the ai created some yeah create some copy create some images and then their human team did the same it was the same target audience and they ran a test on linkedin with the human generated ads and the ai generated ads and the human generated ads still beat the ai ones by a long mile mm. in terms of um you know clicks and conversion rates and, and um cost per click because um i think when you look at it the ai one was just trying to copy what is out there in terms of b2b marketing mm -hmm. you know it's like and another thing it'll, that be, came the out it'll be the average of what's out there exactly exactly mm. and another thing that kind of came out of the event it's a whole other topic that we don't have time to get into was you know what's the one word in the room we were all kind of b2b marketers and someone asked what's the one word that sums up b2b marketing <laughs> the one word that came up the most was boring everyone's like it's boring like we need to <laughs> you know we need to really shake it up and try and talk to people like people not yeah. like yeah. you know so so yeah so i think um look my ai is 
super can be super helpful really for person for, for lots of different things um shortcuts making our lives easier and also for personalizing campaigns i think that's that's one area i was just giving examples mm. there of how it doesn't work but i think yeah. it can it can also yeah. be used personalization is such a funny topic because um i mean look first of all let's just be honest a lot of people get it wrong <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of companies don't inspect often enough and their personalization is broken. Uh, yeah. I posted the other day uh, a ridiculous picture of uh, having bought a, a personalized suit, uh, but on the inside it just said first.name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think their Amazing workflow is broken. Um, yeah, like, you know, some people think that, that just, you know, First dot name is is the level of personalization. Uh, some yeah. get it wrong. Some some have. Sometimes when it's broken, actually, it has the exact opposite effect you are hoping for because now they know for certain that you're not a real person or yeah. that you're doing it through <laughs> templates. Yeah. Um, but I actually think that that whilst AI will definitely make a huge impact to how much we can personalize, I think for quite a long time yet. Um, personalization is still going to be far more effective when it's a person personalizing because people have, um, people have personalities, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> and have conversations with people. And when personalization is based on conversation and interaction, I tend to find that it is effective. When personalization is based on no interaction, it tends to have a bit less or fair bit less of an impact on the person that you're trying to personalize for. If, totally. if that person has never spoken to our company ever, right. And we're trying aggressively to try and personalize for them. Mm -hmm. Most people are pretty smart. They don't think that we somehow have some special insights on them. Or if we do, sometimes they might find it a little bit creepy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so for me, like a lot of that stuff, I still think, I want to personalize where there is where there is actually a connection and a human interaction. Um, but where that flips is is around things like how we're targeting for um, from a personalization perspective. Who are we choosing to target and how are we choosing to target them from a messaging perspective and using yeah. personalization using AI for that I think is 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 super important. Um, yeah. But I think oh, you know so, you can so many so many pitfalls there is yeah <laughs> i was just talking like you, you can personalize things to a certain degree it, it, it it's the basics this isn't ai this isn't like this example i'm about to give is not ai but it's like and you i'm sure you would have done this a million times over in your career but if you're doing some kind of cold outreach email you personalize that you know you you mm. do the research about this person that you're that mm. you're just about to email and you find out, you know, what they posted on LinkedIn or you an article that they were quoted in or a podcast that they spoke on or whatever it is. And you are, you know, looking looking for that hook that you can personalize that communication with. And that's obviously, you know, on a one to one sales level. But I think there are ways of trying to pull in some of those principles into more at a bigger scale. And, it, and that's mm. where I guess some tools can help us. That's where data insights about past behavior, intent signals from third parties, all that kind of stuff can like help us as marketers to 
maybe not create that level of personalization because that is a one-to-one exchange, but to create some personalization that's giving more context to the way that we're reaching out to that person, the mm-hmm. chance, like yeah. as, as a marketing, you know, through a campaign. So yeah, I think there's, I think that's a big, that anyway, that's a big topic that is, we don't have time to talk <laughs> about, but it's definitely something that um, for me personally, yeah. In, and as a marketer, it's, it's it's really important and it's exciting. There's lots of new things that we can do. It's changing all the time. So, yeah. We're all going to have a lot of learning to do over the next few years to keep up, Sean. <laughs> we are got a lot of continuously learning. learning. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, uh, I've got two more questions for you. Number one is, is there, uh, look, I like to ask everybody that comes on here about learning. I have a, a belief that most people that are really, you know, successful of that have risen to, leadership roles in in big companies or you know successfully built their own business all those things usually they're quite self-led learners has there been a particular moment a particular book a particular resource a person something that really influenced uh really influenced your journey on you know learning about uh learning about marketing and how how it all kind of works yeah i would i mean there's probably quite a few of them i I have to admit, I'm I'm a I'm a big reader of books, but I have to admit, I'm not a big reader of like business books and yeah. marketing books. So I I, um, I probably shouldn't say that. But but there's obviously so many other resources that you can lean on. And one of the ones you're talking about really influenced me as a marketer. I would say um, this is probably going back about ten years now. But HubSpot and their content that they used mm. to, that well that they still do put out, but the, the content like ten years ago, I really think. HubSpot were such pioneers in inbound marketing and in content marketing. And yeah, I used to absolutely, you know, eat up all of their content. I, you know, I read their blogs, I downloaded their eBooks. I had, I created like folders on my drive that had all this HubSpot eBooks and things I would actually refer back to about, you know, about inbound marketing, about content marketing. And and I learned a hell of a lot from, from reading all that stuff. Um, and it was an that was an amazing example of content marketing in action because they, yeah. they really, like I said, they really pioneered it. They gave me all this amazing content as a marketer that I could really use, and it was super valuable. So yeah, I think HubSpot did an amazing job in in that in that arena, and still do today. I, I you know I still do come across stuff of theirs that I read, um, probably not quite as avidly as I used to ten years ago, just because of the way you know my career's changed, but. Yeah, I'd say like there's there's a lot of there are some companies that are putting out really good content. And I and, you know, I consume that like we mentioned earlier, Chris Walker from Refine Labs, you know, he's mm-hmm. he is obviously a marketer. He's he's ultimately selling a product. He's a consultancy kind of. Um, you mm. know, but the content he puts out is is really high quality. And I do definitely learn a lot from that. Um Look, just more broadly, LinkedIn. I probably spend too much time on LinkedIn. <laughs> you know, I, I I scroll, I read, I click on articles, I watch videos, I I listen to podcasts that I come across from LinkedIn that I then end up, you know, listening to um, for a longer period. So yeah. yeah, I think LinkedIn for me is a really big um, like if you follow the right, you know, the right things for your for your interests. Um, you're, there's a lot of content out there that mm. there's there's a lot of there's a lot of mediocre content as well, but there there generally yeah. is some good stuff um, out there as well. So yeah, just a really broad broad variety of sources, I'd say. Yeah, um, but mostly media. Yeah. 
Yep. And uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out and what might they reach out about? Um, well, LinkedIn is where you can yeah. find me, I think. I can send them on there a lot. Um, so, yeah, LinkedIn is probably a good channel. Um, what can they reach out about? Look, I'm, I'm keen to chat to, to, to marketers that have similar interests, um, like anyone who's, you know, in my own, <laughs> talking about my own interests right now, anyone who's running ABM campaigns and wants to chat, mm. I'm always open to that. Like I love, you know, I'm really keen to learn about that and understand other people's experiences. So that, um, yeah, any, I mean, look, I'm, I'm always happy to chat to other marketers. Um, I, I, I enjoy connecting and meeting with, um, <laughs> with other people who are doing a similar thing or people who are just starting out in their careers in marketing, like very happy yeah. to kind of share anything I can that, that might help you. Um, but yeah, other, yeah, just um, quite open to connecting and networking. Marvellous. Well, uh, it's been awesome as always. Appreciate you uh, joining the show. Appreciate you sharing uh, and actually, you know, in some some detail, some, some of the things you guys are working on and sounds like uh, you got a lot to uh a lot to get done a lot of new uh bits and pieces especially the abm stuff i think is super interesting something i'm uh certainly focused on learning more about so appreciate you sharing hi thank you very much thanks for having me it's been good to chat and really nice to catch up with you as well so um yeah thanks it's been fun as always thank you so much <laughs>